0: Jeb, what's the story here? They're going to launch, uh, uh, going to launch airliners with a catapult now. Is that what you're this, saying?
1: This, this is pretty much the stupidest idea I've heard come out <laughs> of the airline industry in the last month. <laughs> That's saying a lot. Uh, for yeah, which you. is, which, th- th- you know, there's there's monthly fodder for this. There's competition for this war. but this this one probably is it.
0: So what is um, the plan? What are they saying?
1: Um, well, I'll read the lead paragraph. Aircraft carriers have a really short runway. Parenthetically, I would say, duh. Um, but so to get the jets up to speed, crews use special catapults to fling, pl- fling, fling now uh, uh, airplanes into the air. Now, Airbus is saying that we should be using similar technology with passenger jets, saving fuel or reducing noise for people who live near airports. Um, yeah, no, um, <laughs> I don't think so.
0: Well, are they, uh, are they talking about a short catapult that will really run up the G's, or are they talking about a catapult yeah. that's as long as a runway?
1: They're talking yeah. about a, a little bit of both, I guess. Um, yeah. They're talking about a, a catapult that uh, would be used to accelerate the aircraft to flying speed. What they're not talking about is things that might happen while the airplane is on the catapult um, and accelerating to takeoff speed that the pilots you know, say, hey, you know, we really don't want to fly this airplane right now. Um, they're not talking about um, the ways that the airplane attaches to the catapult. They're not talking about why, basically, this is a better system um, than the system we have now, where the, the airplane self-launches. Um, you know, all of this is self-contained. It, 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 I don't know. The whole thing is just a really bad idea. I think someone got into Boujolais a bit early. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, they, they offer <laughs> some interesting
2: rationalizations. Yeah, uh, ja- David, you've flown yeah, aircraft ahead. that go were, ahead. like, catapulted, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they're talking about, first off, they're talking about using a magnetic levitation-type catapult device. Okay. I, I think it's
0: probably not levitation, but go ahead. Maglev, it, it actually uses
2: magnetic waves. There's no moving part except the puck that drags along the airplane. Really?
1: Which, parenthetically, is, is the newest um, carrier-based technology that is being installed and implemented it, down the exactly. road. Exactly.
2: They can moderate the acceleration curve more precisely, cut down on the impulse loads compared to steam catapults. Uh, Airbus, if this is really Airbus, yeah, is right. saying that they can keep the G-forces during this ride down to no higher than, and I'm going to quote this here, Yeah. than 2.5 Gs. And this one really makes my eyebrows shoot up. That's uh-huh. currently typical. Right. I didn't realize that we were pulling two and a half G's on takeoff in a typical airline flight. We're not. <laughs> it's, you know, I was kind of like, "Wow, I, 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 I've done two and a half, four, six, and and seven and a half G's," and uh, but I'd need a needle to tell me for sure. So, right. Uh, there's also the issue of how you'd have to beef up part of the airplane exactly. to take the loads. Uh, there's some new mechanism that's going to have to go in the airplane uh, to for the catapult sled to hook to. Now, military aircraft, that's usually the nose gear. Uh I wouldn't be surprised if they wanted to hook up something a little more substantial from farther back on the fuselage to do this idea. And then there's the fuel savings, lower noise footprint. And the funny thing about the f- noise footprint argument is, the noise levels, sound levels, decibel output and and the affected footprint of of, uh, of airliners has been shrinking progressively for thirty five years and right now is down to next to nothing right so the noise thing is like wow that 's a really that 's an awful lot of infrastructure for a pretty small gain uh, and then I saw the the winner number three percent fuel savings on a right. typical five hundred and sixty mile flight. Right. And, of course, the airports will be the ones that have to pay for putting in the, the catapults.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So they're looking happen- for, in my mind, a 3% gain with minimal investment on their part.
1: And what happens when the, the catapult fails or is, is down for an hour or so and nothing can depart, A? B, I, the 2.5G is, is pretty much to what the airplanes are stressed, not what they sustain on a typical takeoff. <laughs> C... Um, the weight of the additional structure and components required to interface with the catapult is going to be greater in my book than the fuel consumed on takeoff. And the fuel consumed on takeoff is, we're talking about maximum 45 seconds at, at what is full power on on that given day for that airplane. Um the fuel used in in climbing and and all this kind of thing is is still going to be consumed. I don't see any huge fuel savings here, and I think the fuel supposedly saved. You still have to have the engines at full power when it leaves the catapult. So, what's the big deal? You know, I just realized that
2: the the, the graphic that accompanied this story uh-huh. is the, the the perspective is a little bit challenged. But apparently that Airbus came off of that sled rig. With its gear up. With its gear up. Right. It's gear up. So it's launching like they launch hang gliders behind tugs at, uh, at different
1: places around the country. Oh, not even the Navy. You put it Navy. in a
2: harness and then you tow it down the runway.
1: Yeah. Not even uh, the Navy launches them gear up. Yeah. Uh,
2: wow. This is This is a standalone device. I... Uh, doesn't you know? Doesn't put anything in the runway like the Navy systems do,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, and it's still about as harebrained and crazy as anything that I could <laughs> think of. Uh, and, and my mind runs right up there with autonomous airliners. Uh, yeah. Oh, I mean, oh, oh, they oh. wouldn't trust running an airline to an autonomous airline executive on a computer. Why should we trust airplanes to be piloted by autonomous pilots? Yeah.
0: Okay, it just gets better. All right, here, yeah. you got to yeah. go. All right, the very bot. So, so the story we've been looking at is from uh-huh. a site called device, D V I C E dot com. Okay. If you look at the bottom of the story we're reading, it actually credits a, lo- a, a more, another story in The Economist. Go to the story story in The Economist, all right? And look at the picture that that captions that that story. (laughs) It's the Thunderbirds, man! (laughs) It's the Thunderbirds XL5 uh, launched on a catapult here. um, On a sled, gear up. All right, see? So so this is an idea that was inspired by a puppet show, all right? Well, there you go. I feel a lot better about this already. I feel a lot better about this already. Anyways, hey, you know... Yeah. And then
1: there's the story, I, I don't know Did we if it's on the list or not, but yeah. it came up, it came up uh, in the forums. What's that, uh, yeah? Uh, where uh, the Washington Post had a fairly large story recently in the last couple of days talking about the uh, high accident rate for drones. For drones, I know, yeah. Especially those drones who are being, are being operated from what, what are civilian airports. Here's the link. It's in the it's in the show notes.
0: Yeah, it's down there. We had a whole bunch of drone stories. I grouped them all together there. Yeah.
1: And and um you know, one one little tidbit in this story says something to the effect that, well, the, the crash rate for drones is similar to those of the F-16 when it was first introduced. <laughs> and you're like, Holy crap! Have you looked at the accident rate for the F-16 when it was first introduced? You know, um, holy, I mean, geez. You know. Okay, you
0: know. <laughs> calm down for a second. Take, take a deep breath. While you're taking a deep breath, I'm going to say, yeah. What what a frame of reference to come up with. <laughs> I know, <laughs> huh? Hey, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast.
1: Claire but it's just airplanes, so it's not—it's it's, not really no. This idea. is this is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got Ford a Ford
0: runway in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jack Hodgson. And I'm here with my two good friends who are apparently ready to go off the deep end here. Uh, uh, <laughs>
2: but I'm not—I'm pre- not prepared to go for a cat shot in an airliner. I know no.
1: uncontrolled airspace. You know, come—come come for the. Um, um, Patter, stay for the drones. Yeah, there you
0: go. Right, yeah. Uh, it's a, Never mind. One of those voices is Dave Higdon, who's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. How you doing, David? Oh, just fabulous.
2: We're uh, we're enjoying uh, springtime temperatures in December here. Really? What's it doing there? Well, it was doing about 70 today. No way. Yeah. Really? really? At yesterday, too. 69, 70 since Thursday. Uh, it's like... Just bizarre.
0: Yeah. It's supposed to be nice here. It's supposed to be like in the 50s for the next few days, and that's incredibly warm. Um, I just got back from Canada where it was nine degrees. Um, so um, Celsius? Well, now
2: that's that, that's no.
0: much more appropriate. Nine Fahrenheit. Yeah. Yeah, that's, well, that's, you're right. Anyways. Anyway, before I get, get too distracted here, uh, uh, <laughs> out there catching his breath, but apparently uh, coming back down to a normal heartbeat is uh, Jeb Burnside talking to us from Sarasota,
1: Florida. How you doing, Jeb? I'm doing okay. Doing yeah. Okay. The weather here has been pretty good. It's, uh, it was actually hot, um, at least in the afternoons here with the indirect sunlight. So, mm-hmm. uh, still for a while there, I was in jeans and a sweatshirt. Um, and now I'm back to shorts and t-shirts. So it's yeah. All good.
0: So don't you yeah. wear shorts all year round?
1: Isn't that the whole idea? That's part of the whole idea. Sometimes it's, it's just not, uh, sometimes you just want to kind of cuddle up by the, <clears throat> by the monitor and. And, uh, not be cold. And, <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh anyways
0: uh and i'm jack i'm up here in uh, at lookout point uh where like i said uh it snowed overnight the last couple nights but now it really? got all melty today and uh the snow is very nearly gone It's it's been raining since this afternoon it got all melty it got all melty yeah and uh um uh, supposed to be in the 50s the next few days so we're going to enjoy a little bit of well uh, it's not exactly indian summer we already had indian summer but uh a, a few nice days here in the uh in the uh interregnum between Thanksgiving and Christmas.
1: How's that sound? Well this is this is a first. We've actually used Correctly, I would add the word interregnum in yeah. a podcast. Hey,
2: and now before we depart this completely, if anybody knows how we could get a hold of Colonel Steve Zodiac at the World Space Patrol, that's right. We'd like to yeah. talk to him about this catapult system they used on the Fireball XL5. Yeah, well, we, we, another... we want to put him in touch with the. Oh Earth, no, that's Airbus not. People. You're
0: right. This is not Thunderbirds, right? Am I mistaken about that? It's not Thunderbirds. It's Fireball XL5. That was Ball the name. XL5. That yeah. was the name of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Colonel Steve Zodiac, World Space Patrol. Uh, if anybody's got their
2: number, just shoot it to us in a form. Okay. All right. Well, there you go.
1: <laughs> Another similar, um, yeah, okay, far-fetched idea <laughs> uh, uh, for airlines came across my desk this week. Something to do with installing ejection seats. Yeah. Presumably yeah. for the passengers.
0: Yeah, that's what we need. We need that, and we need windows that can be opened and flown.
1: Right, right. Yeah. So, so that I, 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 okay. Yeah, ejection seats. You know, maybe for the crew, but. Um uh, that's kind of no, no. no. <laughs> but can you imagine? You know, some some precocious six-year-old sitting in the passenger compartment, looking at the this this you know yellow and red striped handle, saying "Do not pull." Yeah, no. <laughs> no, right. no, 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 yeah, yeah. right? Okay,
0: fine. I just really do not want well, to be in.
2: <laughs> there was a time when there were engineers uh... in the airline manufacturing business seriously looking at uh... The ideas about escape pods, yeah, and it, you know they would drop out of the bottom of the airplane. So just before the crash, you you got to drop out of the bottom, and a little drogue parachute would open up the canopy. It didn't need. The uh, didn't need the explosive or rocket power of an ejection seat and all the sequencing. Did you just open up the door and seats fall out?
1: Well, you remember? Uh, the <laughs> didn't movie, they do that in Hawaii one
0: time? No, that wasn't a
1: bad joke. Well, remember sir. the movie um, um, Air Force One? Yeah, where, with Harrison Ford. And, oh yeah, that's you know, right. There was right. how they. How they open the, the non-existent, by the way, yeah. uh, door in the in the tail of the of the 747, and all these these uh, happy pink <laughs> bureaucrats uh, make their first parachute jump and and they're floating down in the night sky with this happy smiling face, you know, and all this. I'm like. Give me a break! Yeah, really. Yeah, they're
2: over water.
1: I know. Yeah, yeah,
0: I do not want to be. I do not want to be back in coach on an airliner, and you know, and suddenly here, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. I'm up here on the flight deck with our first, with the first officer, and we're out of here.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're <laughs> on, you're out. If there's any pilots aboard, you might want to try to make it happen. Yeah. Hey, we'll see you on the other side. <laughs> you're, you're on. Your I've got own. three
2: <laughs> words for you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, three things I want to point out. First, thanks for choosing us. We know you have other choices. We appreciate you making us. Th- choice today second please follow the flight attendants instruction about grabbing the red handle overhead and third eject eject eject
0: <laughs> okay all right everybody calm down gotta, gotta, all yeah, right. right you have to, uh, serious so well, a little bit more serious note here um I know a guy
2: that really wanted to do that once after a meal served on a.
0: <laughs> yeah, Fifi's been grounded. This is so yeah. sad. I yeah. hope this is a temporary thing.
1: Um, Jeb, you put this on the uh, on the list. Do, do you have any more information? No, I don't really. It's in. in it came up on my radar uh, two or three weeks ago. I guess it's been a while since we did an episode. But um, um, according to um, General Aviation News, and this dates back to November fourteenth. Uh, during the uh last flight of the airshow season involving Fifi uh, the aircraft experienced an engine problem uh air, got the airplane back on the ground no problem et cetera et cetera but uh the airplane 's number two engine needs uh major repairs presumably uh, you know a fresh overhaul um, the uh, uh commemorative air force which operates Fifi says that um the cost for repairs to the number two engine and acquisition of a spare is going to be in excess of two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and they are currently uh, holding a fundraiser. There's a website set up: keepfifiFlying.com.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you can uh, <clears throat> you can buy uh, um, certain levels of sponsorship uh, for this. Uh, you get I, you know, I'm looking here at the two hundred fifty. You get a, a pullover fleece jacket. <laughs> that's fifty. You know, that's that's not too shabby. Oh yeah, yeah, right. I like, like to see a picture of said jacket before I, I punch the uh, button here. But um, it's it's apparently a big deal, and uh, this is uh, not something that I wanted to hear. I guess I, I have the the question also of yeah, I know that you know these are rare engines and expensive and all this kind of thing, but are you really telling me they didn't have a spare engine laying around here somewhere?
0: Apparently not, David. Do you now, know
2: anything more about it? Well, I had coffee and breakfast yesterday morning with some of the local CAF folks who who are still talking about it and trying to, you know, scope out what extra they might be able to do as a hangar right. to raise some extra money to go toward the, uh, the the fund. But you know, a little bit of refresher here might be in order. Uh, Fifi was grounded in '04. Uh huh because the original uh r thirty three fifty fifty seven engines uh these are right these are right engines uh uh they were they are constant maintenance problem they weren't really designed for longevity matter of fact the airplane itself wasn't designed to last more than about twenty missions right. uh the engines were uh incredibly complex uh and even when they weren't making their rated 2200 horsepower, they had trouble with them overheating. Uh, they had re- reliability problems. They grounded the airplane and had built four custom versions of the 3350 that are not Dash 57 engines. Uh, they're designed to produce lower horsepower. Uh, they don't have all of the turbocharging, supercharging, intercooling uh... hardware of the originals. They're simpler to operate and maintain. Uh, they exhibit fewer of the problems, but it cost them over a million bucks to raise the money for the four that are hanging on fifi mm-hmm. and then they got her back into the air uh and you know kids that was not but a little over two years ago, August yeah. of two thousand and ten. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, since then, they've just been trying to pay bills related to the, the, the downtime, the overhaul, uh, work that they had to do on corrosion in the wings, uh, the retrofitting of these hybrid engines to fit in the original cowls, which entailed a lot of changes, a lot of sheet metal work, a lot of replumbing. Uh, that's why it was you know it's something like three years that the airplane was down because of this. Uh, now they're saying, you know, we should have been paying more attention to the idea of some backup engines.
1: Yeah. And
0: but at now, 250 a pop, one is what they're shooting for right now. Now, what's hmm. the, how does this work? Suppose they had the money tomorrow. Are these engines available? No. So no, they, they, it'll have to be built. Oh, really? Yeah, there's not, there,
2: there's not a warehouse someplace. <clears throat> Spare versions of this exact configuration sitting on the shelf waiting to be pulled off by a fork truck.
1: Well, they're not building it out of out of um, scrap. They're building it out of, no. out of parts. Right. Are, are they not? Um yeah. So it's a matter of collecting the parts and then assembling them. And
2: some of the parts aren't the easiest things to find, yeah. and some of them had to be made before. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why they went to this hybrid version uh, that... Uh, changes a whole lot of the engine's architecture so that it under less stress it doesn't make as much power but mm-hmm. it, it it's not working as hard and uh... doesn't have the heat and pressure issues at the original uh, they have a lower reduction gearbox than the Dash 57 engines. Uh, so they've got a, a speed limit on the engine of 2,400 RPM instead of the original 28 to maintain the same propeller speed. Well, the engine that failed, uh, it had been off because of a propeller overspeed problem. They put it mm. back on. They got it working. Then they got an overspeed problem again. Um, well, they've worked on it since the failure at Airshow and uh every time they put it back on they start to, uh, this is what they were talking about uh, yesterday they started having problems with the overspeed huh. so uh they're pulling the whole thing off they're looking at building a fresh engine for it and getting a second one built that they can keep one standby uh to replace it so that you know fifi uses only down a min- minimal amount of time right, right. And so it- that they've got parts on hand to overhaul and return to service
0: the broken engine. Yeah. So, so they're going to succeed, right? I mean they they're they're going to get this money, right? There's no chance that this airplane is done. Yeah. Uh
2: I don't see any way around it. I mean uh this burn enthusiast Jim Cavanaugh donated over a million bucks to the upgrade work that resulted in getting her back into the air. In 2010, uh, a million two, I think, was the number, and and that just scratched the surface. It took a lot more money than that because there was a lot more than just the engines that needed to be brought up to, to to spec. Before the FAA was going to sign back off on her going back yeah. up and carrying people on these uh, nostalgia rides, right?
1: It's well, it's really a shame we can't get people like Sheldon Adelson and the Koch brothers interested in in uh, yeah, I know. aviation. I know.
0: But on that note, uh, before we move on, Jeb, tell us again where's that website that people could go to if they want to
1: um, keep. Help out? Let, me, let me. Oh, or, uh, Not dot org.
0: Okay. And from that site, people could, if they wanted to, make a donation.
1: Exactly. And you get updates and that kind of thing. Excellent.
0: So I was surfing the web the other day, and uh, I came across one of these kind of so-called quote-unquote funny, um, it, it's a very, uh, it started out with cat, right? The cat lol cats, right? You know, we had a picture, right. and it had a right. had a, func- a funky caption that was in big type, right? And so it, now it's become an internet thing, you know, where you add a big caption, hopefully funny, to a, to a picture. I came across one the other day that showed uh, two U.S. Air Force aircraft, a C-5, sitting next to a C-130. And the caption the caption is the c five saying, "Bro, do you even generate lift all right and you know so it 's just like the c five being snotty towards the one thirty right well i 'm looking at this picture and and it pops into my mind all right that if you really if push comes to shove w- which one of these is really more valuable?" to the to the uh, us military to any military's fleet and uh, and I had a fairly strong opinion myself, but just on a whim, I posted on Twitter okay and the mm-hmm. question I posted was uh, if mil- if the military could only keep either the c5 or the c130 which would you choose now before I talk about what the Twitter gang said, what would you guys say if you could only have a c5 in the inventory you know a c5 fleet or a c130 fleet which would you th- which is more valuable? Which would you it, choose? It, it,
1: given those choices, it, it's a no-brainer, C-130. David? Yep. Yeah. and It's and that,
0: really easy because the C-130
2: will go anywhere the C-5 will, but the opposite is not true.
0: Yeah, and it's a way more reliable aircraft. And, uh, I
1: don't I can, know that it's more relia- going to take a
0: lot more of them. Yeah. 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 I
1: don't know that it's more reliable. It's certainly more versatile. You've got right. C-130s that are being used Um the same basic design as the Lockheed l 100 is being used in civilian uh, um cargo operations it, not so much anymore but because of fuel costs but um the, the L-100 was a very viable um, aircraft for Lockheed for a number of years um, <clears throat> but C-130s are used for uh the the Puff the Magic Dragon mission with mm-hmm. the the um I forget what the designation is nowadays uh they're used for uh i think it's the, the uh J well the J is the the latest incarnation with uh, like six blade props and, and more efficient engines and things like that but the uh <coughs> um, special operations version is 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 constantly being redeveloped all basically all the military one C130s all now have glass cockpits have been refurbished and, and all these kinds of things um you can operate them in the way upper flight levels. you can operate them map of the earth um they you they do uh you know um rescue missions they do um medical evacuation they do you know just all kinds of things mm-hmm. they can 't carry m one tank
0: yeah there there are a that's, couple of that 's car-
1: where the c five comes in real handy mm-hmm. The
0: uh, Sorry, caught me mid-sip. Um, the, uh, the Twitter gang, um, 10 people, which in Twitter is kind of a big response on any particular item, um, 10 different people uh, answered my question. And uh, it was, in a way, unanimous. Um, eight out of the 10, uh, two out of the 10, abstained. They said it's apples and oranges and you really can't compare them. Um, and the other eight all said the 130 was the choice. Uh, so, uh, you know, people, I no. think, are
1: in agreement. Now one one respondent here indicated um, uh, maybe more than one. Yeah, um, C seventeen.
0: Yeah, a lot of them wanted to wanted yeah. the C set with the C five to go against the C seventeen. Yeah, Can the C seventeen carry question. that big tank? Carry one of them. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's one will do. Um, How many do you need? Well, you need more than half a one. Is I guess my point. You know, yeah. you, you need at least one. Um, so. Anyways, I, I thought that was interesting. I had no doubt in my mind that C, C one thirty, you know, all in all, and it is apples and oranges. I mean, you need you, you yeah. need both in the inventory. There's no question about that, but uh, but the C one thirty is just you know talk about a classic airplane. Um, I had this theory that there are a handful of designs that just were right they just yeah. di- they just you know um things like the the dc3 and mm-hmm. and and i would argue the 747 all right mm-hmm. and the c130 and others you know
1: and we can throw in c172 we can throw in the j3 cub we yeah. can throw in uh um the bonanza yep yeah. champ um uh, champ. you know so uh
0: um uh, and I'm not sure if the C-5 – I mean, C-5 is a fine airplane, as near as I can tell, but uh, I don't think it's that kind of a really, you know, uh, magical design. It's just big. It's, it's just applying it's brute five force. Times, five times more effective than the C-1.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, All right. It's a good thing I can't reach him. I know, huh? I, right I know. We'll be, hey. we'll be, yeah
0: so jeb uh there i there know. are reports floating around the internet that you put in an appearance um at Lakeland where, where? yes,
1: we, yes, this was yesterday actually. is this something you want to talk about yeah we I'm going to try <laughs> what, do what that you a, do a sh- no, little, I don't yeah, know i I' just bit of a <laughs> shout out but. What? No, I,
0: David seems to think it's funny that, that you might not want to talk about it. I, oh, I just don't know whether I, I were... like the way he's like, is this something
2: you want to talk about?
0: <laughs> well, assuming you want to talk about it, Jim, tell us
2: be why sh- you were there. Be, and sure
1: what... and be sure and see the receptionist on the way out about your bill.
0: Yeah, I know. Uh, why were you there and what did you see?
1: <laughs> this was the, <laughs> Dave's still still laughing his ass off. Huh? <laughs> this was the first annual When Pigs Fly South. Barbecue competition, uh, motorcycle show, airplane show, and um, car show on the grounds of the, the Sun and Fun um, uh, flying in at uh, the Lakeland Linder Regional Airport in Lakeland, Florida. Um, drove up. My airplane's still broken. We can maybe not talk about that later. <laughs> um, um, but drove up and uh, had a blast. Uh, ran into Dave better and, and um, um, uh, his friend April. Um, had some good barbecue. Saw some interesting, very interesting set of cars. Most of the motorcycles were Harleys, which, okay, fine. Um, uh, um, yeah, I'm not going to go there. Um, <laughs> according to, to uh, some of the Sun and Fun personnel, they had at least, or, or I think... Eh, I'm going to probably botch this, but the number of 150 aircraft show up for this. That mm-hmm. comes cool. to mind. Yeah. there. Um, the, in fact, the only real complaints that they had been fielding during the day uh, were that um, the tower at Lakeland Airport was simply overwhelmed. Um, really? And, yeah. Yeah. Um, I had thought at one point about flying up during the week when I, when I, this crossed my radar stream saying, you know, that's, be a nice way to kill Saturday afternoon and I could use some good barbecue and, you know, I always want to support the people at Sun and Fun. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, I looked around and said, all right, well, They've got to have you know some kind of traffic management program or or some notum or something in effect, and I couldn't find anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't do a full briefing. I looked at you know the notum sites. So I just couldn't find anything for for the Lakeland Airport over the weekend, which implies and and given what I know now, they didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think they probably. You know, I think the FAA won't make that mistake again. I don't know that it was a sun and fun mistake or sun and fun problem per se. It's an FAA control tower. And, um, you know, if they couldn't handle that, then they need to find, uh, you know. uh, Yeah. If they can't handle another 150 aircraft in one day, then they need to maybe think about it.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't think. I mean, that would be a busy day, no question. But you'd think that they could deal with it. and uh, So, I don't know. So, the the, the barbecue was good? Mm
1: Mm-hmm yeah we got there a little late, and i think I think everybody, quite honestly, was a little surprised at how the, at the turnout and how successful the event was. Mm-hmm. Um, uh I don't know maybe event ran from eleven to um five, and we got there about noonish, uh and it was probably you know one ish before we started looking for food. And uh a lot of the booths that were there selling barbecue had already sold out of a lot of their offerings mm. wow. um yeah, well, that's um, good news bad news it's, it's I guess. a good news bad news thing yeah. and and uh um, the 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 area there uh funny um because the area that was being used for this on Saturday was the area right around the radio station
3: mm-hmm.
1: um there between the radio station and um the the runway the fence okay right uh where you always have the the tent area uh, where the honda uh is mm-hmm. uh, the honda um exhibit is and going up um north not as far as the hangars but going up north towards the runways that whole area really had had, okay. had vendors had um, you know barbecue uh, uh, things and, and other um, vendors there. The the motorcycle uh, display was off to the to the um, west a little bit, um, but that area was just as busy and filled with people Saturday as it would have been. On a good day at Sun and Fun,
0: really? Wow, that's yeah, I great. was
1: very impressed, and and the people running Sun and Fun were just pleased as as punch. And yeah, and that's they should very they cool. should have yeah it, it, they should have been that happy and and more power to them. Uh, um, now
0: this uh, is one of a of a sort of a series. The Sun and Fun uh-huh. folks are doing a lot of these now. They've decided that they're going to hold these little, you know, for lack of a better word, I'll call them mini events. I mean, by comparison to Sun and Fun, they're right. they're mini events. Uh, as you just described, I guess in terms of density of a small area, it's as busy. But not as mm-hmm. spread out. Am I right about that? You know?
1: they, yeah, they, they didn't, they, by no means did they have the entire site. Yeah. Uh, but they've
0: done us. a bunch of these throughout the already. Yes. And I guess they're planning on doing, like, I don't know, once every <laughs> two or three months, they're going to do, you know, one of these, these, you know, kind of come on in, have a fly in kind of exactly. events. Yeah, and, uh, well, they, and had,
2: they had a World War Two canteen just a couple of weeks uh-huh. ago. Yeah. I think uh-huh. this is more running along the lines of about a monthly thing. Uh, and, you know the, I traded some email with some folks about the this thing coming up, and you know the sixty four dollar question was, so you think people will turn out and it's like, well, how do you know for a first time event yeah i mean it's not like people had to register it's not like they had to pay uh you know buy a ticket in advance uh and most publications won't even let you call something first annual because right. it can't be an annual until there's a second one. Right. But that's a semantic thing. So, you know, the first of anything like this, it's really hard to know what it's going to be like. And, you know, you had good weather. Uh, They had good publicity for it. Uh, A lot of people were up for something like that to do the weekend after Thanksgiving. Uh, And I think it bodes well. Uh, If the weather had been really crappy, it could have been 180 degrees different. Right. so you know, congratulations to them. I yeah, the more of this stuff picks
0: up. Yeah, no, so we should all keep an eye on the uh, Sun and Fun. That's his Sun. Was it Sun n funorg Dash Fun dot org website? Right. Um, I don't know if there's a mail. I know that we because we're sort of on their media list. We get these things. I don't know whether c- civilians have a mailing list, but uh, you should keep an eye on that website. And uh, well, they uh, they're going to c- be doing c- a lot c- of can these. Get on
2: their newsletter list. There absolutely. you go. Yeah, there exactly, you go. Okay, exactly.
1: excellent. And that's and I believe that's how I came uh, became aware of it. I uh, had a couple of emails pop up and, yeah. and I was kind of looking for something to do um uh yesterday and that didn't fit well it's like an hour 15 uh drive for me. Yep. Um I'm basically door to door so I mean it was a no brainer uh great way to spend the afternoon. Now it wasn't it wasn't an aviation event per se. Um but uh what it what it was was an opportunity to exercise the airplane right. for people who have one. Uh it was also an opportunity for the locals uh, to get out, get some sun, get some barbecue, see some cool cars, see some cool motorcycles, see some cool airplanes. Um, so it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, sounds good.
0: Yeah. Do you drive uh, 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 four wheels or two wheels?
1: Uh, four wheels. Took the Bimmer. Uh huh. Cool. Yeah,
0: that's yeah. fun. That's yeah. fun. Anyways, yeah, we should stay in touch with uh, more of those things. They uh, a lot of those fun events seem like they're happening down there. They're a little far away for me, but uh, you never know. You never. Know. Yeah. Well, you never know. That's All nice. right. I'm a little afraid of this next subject, um, but uh, we'll bring it up anyways. Our Jeb? Yes? Are, are, you, are You're considering buying yourself an ADS-B device?
1: I am. You know, what's the story here? And Well, uh, um, ADS-B has several flavors. Um, most basically the flavors are ADS-B in and ADS-B out. ADS-B-OUT being the transmission of your position and velocity data and identification uh, to the FAA's ground stations um, as, as a, a super, uh, well, I won't say super, as a, uh, the next generation air traffic control system. ADS-B-IN is kind of the, um, the um, uh, uh, bait on the hook that the FAA has given General Aviation. Um, to obtain uh, near real-time uh, weather information, including um, graphical nextrad presentation, but also including textual weather um, and other weather products directly to the cockpit. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, the next um, generation, the next iteration, if you will, of the concepts behind say WeatherWorks and WSI and uh, the XM Weather. Uh, services that are out there that are all basically satellite. Well, uh, some of them, anyway, are satellite-based. XM is certainly satellite-based. So, you know, I'm paying, you know, I don't even know how much a month for this XM weather subscription that I don't even use that much, but it's, I want it, so I pay it. Uh, I want to have it when I need it, so I pay for it. Mm -hmm. So I'm scratching my head thinking, and I've seen a lot of these products in, in, in operation um, sporty Stratus, for example, um, Garmin's GDL39, and uh, there's another product from uh, uh, Dual Electronics, the old turntable manufacturer. They've branched out in, in a number of different ways, and including um, uh, marine and aviation GPS devices. They have a device called the XGPS-170 that does the same thing as all these other products, which is receive... ADSBN weather data, including the Nextrad g- graphics, and through um, uh, either a Wi-Fi or a Bluetooth uh, connection to your iPad running for flight and some other applications, uh, can display all this uh, information on the iPad in in again near real time. There's maybe a ten or twelve minute lag, and once you buy the hardware, all this is free. So no more monthly subscriptions to XM Weather and da-da-da-da-da. And so I'm looking around at, at at maybe trying to think about upgrading uh, to this, maybe buying myself uh, a Christmas present, and I find that a very interesting little factoid. Yeah. They're all priced at $799. Oh,
0: that's why I thought you were saying they're all at least... They're all exactly $799.
1: They're all exactly $799. Well, how you like that, huh? Capitalism. How does it work?
0: <laughs> well, you know, I don't know. David? Oh, wait a minute. So David says he's following... Now, uh, David's sending little text messages in the background here. Uh, David, what's your take on this whole
1: yeah, thing? Yeah, Sage Tech. Yeah, that's another one.
0: David? Well, uh...
2: I agree with Cheb that there's it, it seems to be a little bit of uh price
1: matching going on here, but I have to quibble with him on there only being three yeah, you're right, you're right, i'd forgotten about it I was aware of this particular product, but you're right and and miraculously it is it is priced differently
2: yeah there's sky- clarity a d s b then there's something called sky radar mm-hmm. which is like five ninety nine uh and it's got its own uh g p s receiver uh, it but it uh, it's this has been one of I, I see Jeb's point, and I think this, this has been something that I've debated with others for a long time. That the the, uh, the uh, contention that they they weren't interested in ADSB in because they already had weather data link until they started to see what uh, fifty bucks a month can can do for them, mm-hmm. like. One year's worth of fifty bucks a month will buy you one of these receivers and yeah, yeah and then yeah. and then you're not paying subscription fee you anymore right and when you double in with the ones that that will also get the traffic uh, feed that shows live traffic in the immediate area the broadcast area of the ground station you're 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 hearing uh the attraction goes up because. Most people still don't have a collision avoidance system in their airplane. Right. I mean, there's some good ones out there, but the ones that will bolt in your airplane and hook up to your panel-mounted display start at about ten grand. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No. Well, wait a minute, David. I'm sorry. I was looking at something else while you're talking there. You're not suggesting that the ADSB traffic solution is that, are you? Well, ADSB has a traffic. ADSBN has a traffic solution. Right, but isn't there a big problem with that in that you have to have out for it to be effective? No,
1: I think I've heard this. That that um, effective is a is a. Here's the deal: you get you get TISB traffic, um, but not all the traffic out there is displayed on your TISB feed. But there, wasn't there also some issue
0: with um, that that you got? Oh, how did this go? But basically, if you didn't have out, you weren't necessarily triggering even all of the equipped aircraft in the area. That's right. Well, that, that's, if you want to, that's if you're
2: looking at it and you want to get the direct without going through the TIS link. Uh, okay. But the TIS link is going to show everything that the area controller has got on his radar screen. Really, I mean, you know, yeah, the non-participating ADSB traffic that he's seeing on radar gets broadcast on the TIS channel, just like the ADSB participating yeah. traffic does. I, I believe. Otherwise, you
0: David- it would be of no use. Yeah, no, I believe you, David. I just, I Jeb, it sounds like you might have heard what I heard. What do you know yeah. what it was I heard? <laughs> Did you know what?
1: It- well, basically, um, the ADSB tra- or the the TISB Traffic Information System dash broadcast TISB. A data that is transmitted uh, via ADSBN is not—I'm um, I'm, going to say it's incomplete. How about that? Yeah. Uh, first of all, there are, there is other traffic out there that uh, may indeed be ADSB compliant, uh, but is is not being uh, um, that data is not being transmitted to you. But the bigger challenge uh, is that. Um, other aircraft that are not ADS-B compliant are right. not going to be transmitted to you as as traffic um the the mode A mode C um, um even perhaps even mode S aircraft are not going to come into your your um um receiver as as potential traffic conflicts and furthermore other aircraft operating without a transponder, be they gliders, be they Nordo aircraft, no electrical system aircraft, whatever, are not going to show up on this either. So it's not a panacea. It's not a, um, uh, uh, um, a cheap way around, um, the, as Dave correctly notes, the, the 10 grand plus certified uh, traffic systems that uh, we'd all love to have. Even those have their limitations, and even those don't show all the traffic. The ADSB on the TISB service on on these ADSB only ADSBN only receivers by no means shows all the traffic either. It's just one more tidbit of information you can use. Yeah,
0: yeah. So okay, um, we're, I think we're, I know we're going to want to hear more as you continue to uh, explore well, this, Jeb, and what, yeah, what you decide uh, to
1: pick on. What do, what do you decide to buy? Right, right, and and I'm looking at the, the Sage Tech Clarity, uh, and it looks like an interesting little unit. I've seen these, and and it simply had, it omitted them from my my little uh, impromptu search here earlier in the week. Uh, one thing I note, however, that the uh, Clarity does not do is work with ForeFlight. Uh, it works with Wing X Pro, or I I1000, Extreme Vision 3D, and all these. It does not work with ForeFlight. That may or may not be an issue to me, in that. Um, uh, um does everything I want it to do, but it also sucks up a, a buttload of uh, iPad resources. Yeah. And it, is, it can be very cumbersome and very sluggish. Yeah. So,
0: anyways, please keep us informed. We'd like to hear more about I, I, that. I will. I will As I time will.
1: goes on. Thank you. And, th- and Dave, thank you for pointing out these other options. I, had, I, I, had no, I was aware of them, but I just had, had omitted them. Thank you.
2: Oh that's all right yeah the, the the reason it stuck in my head was because of a story I had to do about seven or eight months ago, right, which had involved kind of inventorying how many of these options were out there, and we tried to include as many of the portable options that were available at the time uh which and that number grew at Oshkosh this past year, but back before Oshkosh, I did something as, and we were finding i don't know four or five. That will permanently install on the airplane mm-hmm. at the time and and three or four portable units that would work with one of the portable you know it would, well some of them would work with your garmin four ninety ninety six for example right right uh, and then there's standalone traffic inputs like the xeon that will mm-hmm. work with your four ninety six that mm-hmm. uh, adds another element to it too, so I just knew the three seemed light, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, I, Mainly, I guess I was looking at the ones that work with ForeFlight. Now, that,
2: yeah, you got me on that one because yeah. uh, I believe you're right that they may be the only three right now. But that, I expect, will change. Uh, I'm not,
1: I'm, that, that said, I'm not even sure that the Garmin GDL39 works with ForeFlight. It certainly works with Garmin's own in-house app, uh, Garmin Pilot or something. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I don't know if it works with um, Fourflight. Certainly the Stratus does. And I believe Knockwood certainly does the um the dual product, but I don't know would, that, would that.
2: What was it that you'd need to work with your five thirty? Is that the sixty yeah. nine?
1: Yeah. And and a future draft choice too. There's another GDL <laughs> product that um the GDL sixty nine. Um I think that's out yeah. in yet. Yeah, it is, but I'm not sure. <clears throat> um this GDL sixty nine does something else that is, maybe older technology. I'm not sure. I think there's a future draft choice coming from Garmin that would be an installed box that would be the next logical progression in this market.
2: Yeah, I think they've got. They're offering one that has its own integral GPS. Right. Right. So that it doesn't have to have an external source. Uh, it can't be just any GPS source. It has to be GSO. It has, to be so WOS WOS it, right.
1: it has to be a It has to be a TSOed was, and in fact, some of the, the existing Garmin was installed hardware doesn't do that.
0: Right. Exactly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: Jumping ahead on the list here, uh, the uh, so I'm reading the uh, my little uh, AvWeb uh, uh, email news summary thing that they send uh, throughout the week. And uh, and what do I see but a little uh, summary for an article headlined uh, "Owner Performed Maintenance," <laughs> and and I'm reading the first few paragraphs and I'm going, "Well, this sounds really familiar." All right, where have I heard this before? Well, where have I heard this? rant? kind of a rant. And maybe. I jump I jump through to click through to the uh, full article and discover that it's uh, a piece uh, written by none other than you, Jeb, uh, a while back apparently. Right? Was this like a year or so ago? It was or a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago.
1: For, you wrote this article wrote for safety. Yeah. And, uh, course, we're, uh, Safety and, and AvWeb are owned by the same publisher. Yeah, And uh, they re- so th- they repurpose some of that content on occasion. This it's is what
0: AvWeb a- has come to now. They're republishing your two-year-old articles. Sorry. Uh,
1: <laughs> I, I do not associate myself with the gentleman's remarks. <laughs> uh,
0: it's an interesting piece. It's sort of uh, the risks and rewards of uh, of doing the, the kinds of maintenance that uh, a mere mortal pilot is allowed to do on his airplane, <laughs> right?
3: Well, and, and,
2: and the article's not even two years old yet which means there's no way in hell the faa changed the regs in that period of time exactly.
0: well so. yeah they change, but except in the cases where they had started five years earlier to, <laughs> to change the regs and uh but uh yeah so I, you, you and i have talked about this a number of different times i think this is a very interesting subject and uh um the the things that a pilot can do legally uh to your own airplane and uh um, so uh, this is kind of a medium. Well, I don't know. Is this the entire thing that was in safety in your magazine? I think
1: or? it's missing a sidebar, too. Maybe some art or something. There's only two two images associated with it. I, hang on a second. I'll yeah, try. it
2: was a much more complete, fully flushed, and well-illustrated article in the
0: original. Yeah. So it's got things like... Uh, well, it's,
1: it's, it's, it sounded better than the original Klingon, yeah.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> well, you know, it caught my attention. I saw the headline "Owner Perform Maintenance," and then, and then the the first line in the in the you know in the first graph is I've always been fond of pointing out that the most dangerous thing in personal aviation is a private pilot with a number two Phillips screwdriver. And I thought I've heard that before. I know I've <laughs> heard that line
1: before. This was in the March 11 uh, issue. From March 11, yeah, right.
0: Clip. So, uh, um. uh, so you talk a little bit about some of the tools and equipment that uh, that you might take advantage of, uh, reference materials. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, training uh, and then uh, let's see now things like uh, preventance maintenance maintenance gotchas uh, uh, i guess what along the subject of changing tires and refinishing the fuselage and cabin
1: and fasteners and mm-hmm. updating databases and uh, all of those things are completely legal mm-hmm. for the, the private pilot slash owner to do It ain't so legal for you if you're a private pilot and you rent. You don't remove any inspection covers if you're renting the airplane. Okay. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. But uh, if you own the
1: airplane, yeah. If you own the airplane, airplane, yeah. Knock yourself out. Um, Or not, as the case may be. But try try not to
2: knock yourself out until after you've signed the logbook entry.
1: Right. Right. Let me find this uh, article. See here. It's in the.
2: I mean, I. I, uh, When we still owned Air Comanche, I took this so seriously. I'd I'd fly, because you needed the oil to be warm before you drained it, before an oil change. I would fly from Augusta to dead cow. And the the leprechaun would be ready for me to roll in. I'd fly in. We'd shut it down. Uh, We'd open up the cow. We'd put the little hose on the uh, quick drain and open up the quick drain and let all that hot oil run out into the catch pan. Then, after it cooled off enough to stick her hand in the back on the back side of the engine where the filter adapter was, yeah. we take off the old oil filter and go cut it open and mm-hmm. take a look at it for metal flakes and but Earl wouldn't let me touch the airplane until he was convinced that I knew how to use safety wire pliers correctly right
1: right yeah right so which which is not an just interesting wire
2: tool yeah. thing it's also knowing on which side of the the little ears on the oil filter to start this and which way to run it because Mm -hmm. if you put it on wrong all you're doing is making sure that it'll only unwind a quarter of a turn exactly instead of not unwinding at all
1: yeah exactly yeah and then there's the issue of you know how tight do you want to get that safety wire how 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 many twists do you want to put in it before you know it gets brittle and breaks? And, and there's all right. kinds of little issues like that. Mm-hmm. It, the, the, one of the punchlines from the article, just to summarize it here, is: is don't go off half cocked on some of this stuff. It it it's imperative in my book that you have uh, someone who knows what he's doing, i.e., a mechanic and uh, someone with an IA authority, perhaps, um, or I should say, with inspection authority, to kind of show you around the airplane and show you how to use the tools and show you how to use the reference materials. And once you've gotten that training and that familiarity, then, yeah, you can proceed on your own. Uh, but until that happens, uh, you want to be very careful. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah.
0: That's an, uh, on uh, at, on AvWeb's uh, site. Uh, well, obviously, uh, uh, Jeff will put a, a link into the show notes here, but it's uh, the headline is Owner Perform Maintenance. And it's in the November 15, 2012 uh, issue of Av, issue of AvWeb.
2: Or, as a friend of mine said once when they asked me, so do you work on your own airplane? And I went, well, as much as I can. And I said, you really don't think you should hire somebody more qualified? I said, yeah, and you're getting home. How? Huh?
0: <laughs> 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 well, let's see now. uh... One other piece here I wanted to, we're going to do shout outs, but uh, oh, we're kind of reach, reaching the end of our allotted time here. Um, Jeb, you put a story on the. By the way, it seems, Jeb, that you have better internet these days because you're posting way more things on the list well, I than you. I've
1: just come across stuff lately that, uh, and I think a little bit more about, hey, that's that's something we should talk about on, on Yeah, you
0: know, cool. Yeah. So uh, this one is uh, turning an airplane boneyard into a booming business in Roswell, Roswell New Mexico. Roswell? Roswell? Os- that's women. Os- is that the al- alien place or which? Yes, it's Roswell. Roswell. The, the alien place. Okay. Um, so I don't that's know. This
1: is Roswell. I don't know if it's. The cat yeah. I got yeah, mistyped. Let's see.
0: Let's see now. Uh, this is from... Roswell. It's, I mistyped. It's Roswell. It's Roswell. So, uh, uh, making sure airplanes fly safely and on time. This is the lead from the article. During the holiday season takes plenty of spare parts, and not all of them are new. And it talks about an aircraft boneyard that uh, has uh, lots of bits and pieces and spare parts. The question that, that this brought to my mind, I, and I don't know. First of all, Jeb, what, what were you thinking, putting this, what was interesting to you
1: about this article? Just one that it just appeared in a in a, uh, uh, a mass media uh, outlet. Mm-hmm. This is um, uh, Houston, Texas, of all places. The ABC station on, it appears on their website, mm-hmm. and they have video. They have a, a, a Dateline story copyrighted by the television station, and I just found that altogether odd in and of itself. Uh, and this made the, the, the national media. and made some of the feed that I get, uh, from, uh, from the national media. So that in and of itself was rather interesting. Uh, and in fact, I did not mistype uh... Roswell, or Roswell. The the headline has rosewell in it when it's in fact Roswell, New Mexico. Ah, see, they spelled it uh, wrong too. Yeah, so. I just copied you and copied and pasted? It, and pasted. It, so, yeah. yeah. So. But anyway, um, it just kind of a reminder that um, um, you know, as as all the new all these new aircraft come out and get placed in the service, like the Dreamliner and whatnot, the old ones have to have a place to go. Yeah. And The old ones, you know, at least some. Parts, some components on these older ones uh, find their way uh, back into circulation. Yeah.
0: Now, this got me to thinking about. Um not so much about the big airliners being being you know um, available for spare parts, but just airplanes in general, our kinds of airplanes. And and there was a story I don't think we talked about it, but there was a story I saw maybe it was on the list maybe it wasn't uh, recently about uh, people who are in the business of refurbishing airplanes, uh, taking used airplanes and sort of the equivalent of you know flipping a house or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and for that matter, there's all sorts of uh, TV shows these days. We were talking earlier about the Discovery Channel and and um, where people are doing this with. Auto Automobiles, you know, where they'll buy a junker car and kind of completely re- refurb it and sell it for a profit, hopefully. You know, my question is, do you think that there is room in the aviation industry for that kind of a business? You know, you think someone could refurb an airplane and 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 make money off of it? Or just is there not that is there just not enough demand for airplanes?
1: Um, it <laughs> depends. You, you have to get the basic airplane f- next to free. Mm-hmm. And you have to, um, your labor, you can't be paying people for your labor. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reasons for that are, are basic. <sighs> let's, let's use an example of say, um, um, uh, I don't know, an early sixties Skyhawk. Yeah. Okay. So you get the airplane <clears throat> for five grand. Okay. Uh, And it needs work. It's maybe got some corrosion. It needs a it needs a rebuilt engine. Needs an overhauled engine. Uh, Needs some radios. Um, Needs it's going to need some wiring. It might might need paint and interior. Okay. Um, uh, uh, The average price for an interior is probably going to be you know if you if you farmed it if you took it to an interior shop, the average price for an interior on a Skyhawk is going to be eight to ten grand. Okay um it 's going to need paint if you took it to a paint shop price for a paint job on a skyhawk is going to be ten to twelve grand uh, An engine uh, for a skyhawk is going to be fifteen eighteen grand uh we haven 't talked about tires we haven 't talked about brakes we haven 't talked about uh, replacing some of the instruments or overhauling some of those instruments <clears throat> If you had to replace or repair all the instruments in the uh, in the instrument panel, you're talking about another five grand or so. Uh, now, all of these are, you know, at length price arms length prices. Um, I don't know how many do- thousands of dollars I just ticked off right there, but probably upwards of forty. Mm-hmm. Okay, plus the acquisition of the airplane is forty five. Pull out a copy of Trade a Plane, and you can go find some cream puff skyhawks for thirty. Right. Okay. Um, and all of this supposes that you um, are not paying for the labor involved to install all these parts and to rework some of these things to clean up corrosion and and to to uh, <clears throat> annual the airplane, to inspect the airplane and fix all this other stuff that you're going to find in, in the refurb process. So if you factored in your labor and you're probably going to be looking at, you know, Another 10 grand, which bumps the, uh, the money up to you got into this airplane to 50 grand.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And for 50 grand, you can buy some sweet bonanzas. You can buy uh, a 182 cream puff. You can buy all kinds of other airplanes for 50 grand. So, you know, I, I say this from, with some knowledge in that um, I have in the past, you know, bought a project airplane. With the idea of f- fixing it up, um, and not so much flipping it per se, but that was certainly a, a down the road objective. But, f- but fixing it up and having another airplane to fly, and uh, I had free labor in that. Um, uh, the guy I was doing this with was an ANPIA, mm-hmm. so but we started doing the math. On It needed an engine. It, it need, the prop needed to go out. It needed um, some airframe repairs that weren't going to be, um, how should I put it? They weren't going to be expensive from the standpoint of materials, but they were going to be very time consuming. They were going to require some specialized tools. Um, the instruments all had to go out and be re- redone. The interior, you know, the paint sucked. You know, all these little start, – you start adding all this stuff up. And the numbers were way out of whack based on what this aircraft was going for on the, on the open market. And so we ended up parting out the airplane. Mm-hmm. We, we made money on the deal. See, uh, that's want, really unfortunate. I mean, I mean no, it's, I'm glad you guys want, made money. Yeah, that part's not unfortunate. We didn't, we didn't want to part the airplane out. Right. But be, the economics of it were such that 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 was the only viable thing to do. If you're not, you know, smitten with the love of of aviation like I am, but you it, still you have to come in with some some common sense here on occasion and uh, say, you know, this is just not going to work the way we wanted it to work. We need to we need to cut bait. We don't. We can't continue to fish this hole. Yeah,
0: interesting, David. Anything you want to add to that?
2: I pretty much back up what uh, Jeb was talking about, having done a lot of refurbishing work uh, ourselves on our Comanche after my uh, interesting little gear up landing years ago. Uh, and that and hanging out with the leprechaun at Dead Cow, yeah. where on numerous occasions in the 21, 22 years that I've known him, uh, Earl has gotten his hands on a, an airplane that was a steal for somebody that could do something with it. And then it's set in the back of the hangar in the well of the souls as we call that area uh for months, sometimes a couple of years, while Earl would put his own sweat equity and his own parts investments in it. but this is a guy who's a, a, a trained engineer with a graduate an aerospace structures engineer with a master's degree uh an a and p with inspection authorization uh and he can walk stuff through the FISDO. And get it signed most of the time on the first trip because he knows how to do the engineering calculations and produce right. the drawings. So Earl is basically working for himself, putting this airplane back together. The mechanics that work in his shop, working for other people on other airplanes for hire, uh, he doesn't tend to put them on these projects unless he's got the money to pay them for the work. Uh and even then, it's always real close to. So when he sells the airplane, did you make any money? And he goes, eh, Yeah, I got my money out of it and uh, paid for my time. Uh, okay, uh, you're, there's a way to do this. Yeah, yeah. But you got to have access to cheap parts. You got to have a boneyard out in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to have the free talent or the really low price talent. It, the talent's got to be deep, like Jeb was talking about. Uh you can't go farming out like Earl would overhaul the engines on these airplanes or pull the cylinders, put new ones on. Uh that's far from a full overhaul. But it would get the airplane engineer worthy again and let him put Mm -hmm. it back on the airplane and off it go. Well that's at eight hundred, nine hundred bucks a set for some cylinder assemblies, twelve hundred for some of the others, that's still five, six thousand dollars for a four or six cylinder engine by the time Mm -hmm. you get all the gaskets. And the seals, and you turn the wrench, and as a viable business model, uh, I don't see it in the way that you see some of these TV shows, and these guys who are refurbishing old cars for profit.
0: Yeah, well, right. but by the way, my my observation of these TV shows of guys who refurbish cars, they don't. The only time they make money of them is when they turn them into very, very high end, very cool, very yep. high priced. Um, uh, air, uh, cars. And right. so, and, and I would collectibles. I, yeah. And I would suggest that you might be able to make a business like that if you were to create some sort of really super duper Skyhawk somehow, some way. I don't know, just loaded, you know, or something like that. Um, but it always
2: d- comes down to one thing.
0: Yeah. And it's the same one thing every time. Mm hmm.
2: It, it only works if there's somebody out there interested in what you're selling at mm-hmm. the price you're selling it for.
1: Funny how that works, huh? It is funny how that works. Yeah. Um, and that gets us right back to the, uh, the ADSBN receivers, of course. Uh, the other thing I would point out is, is a lot of this comes down to uh, what does it cost you to acquire the airplane in the first place, the airplane that needs refurbishment? Um, if you're paying retail to get the airplane uh, with the intent of refurbishing it to flip it, you're already upside down. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Um, now, um, one of the ways in which this may not apply, these rules that we just discussed here. Um, is uh, a simpler airplane. Let's let's consider maybe the case of a Legacy LSA, for example, a J3 Cub, um, a, a, a Champ, something like that, where you don't have radios and you don't have instruments that have to be refurbished or have to be overhauled. You have a very simple airframe. Uh, you're talking about tube and fabric or wood and fabric. Uh, simple to work with, uh, materials are cheap, um, the engine is the engine, uh, Dave uh, accurately and correctly outlined what it might cost to, to hang some new jugs on, on a, on a four-bang uh, uh, Lycoming or a four-banger Continental. Um, those kinds of airplanes can reasonably be refurbished and sold and flipped for a profit Uh, If, again, you're not really all that picky about how much your time costs, Um, mainly because they don't require all that many parts uh, to be refurbished and replaced and and, uh, farmed out. Uh, But when you're getting into um, uh, a traveling airplane, for example, one one that is nominally going to be used for cross countries or maybe even IFR, um the 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 dollars start going ka-ching, ka ching and you and it's way easier to get upside down yeah yeah so very interesting yeah, it
2: really goes crazy if you start talking about anything more than a basic navcom or uh-huh. you know like a honeywell or a bendix king uh what is it the kx135 it's right. a gps com that you can get you can pick up as reconditioned equipment for you know eight hundred a thousand twelve hundred bucks mm-hmm. uh and a transponder an old uh k t seventy five maybe uh you know eight hundred a thousand bucks if you start getting into any avionics beyond those couple of things, and boy, you can wind up yeah. not only upside down but rotating around the cost <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: shout outs i got I got at least one um you guys got anything you want me to go first? I, uh, yeah, you go first. I came across a story the other day that um, longtime listeners will realize why it catches my attention. This is uh, from an AvWeb story uh, called uh, a, a Gift with Wings. turns out that there's an organization called GIFT, uh, Girls in Flight Training Academy, that runs a program. I guess it's a once a year or it's a, it's a, a, a program that uh, invites women uh, to come to their program. And I'm, not sure, I'm sure there's some sort of application process uh but basically if you are accepted into the program you go there and learn how to fly no charge uh you uh and and that's uh, longtime listeners know that this is a thing for me I, I believe that free flight training is the it could well be the the solution to or, or part of the solution to the pilot shortage or the problem with not the our industry not growing um so this caught my attention um Let's see now, Uh, uh, what compelled 45 women, I'm reading from the story here, from Anchorage to Chesterfield, New Hampshire, to Trek, to Vernon, Texas, in uh, a tiny North Texas town uh, where there are more trucks than cars, question mark, uh, all had heard about the unique program called Girls in Flight Training, GIFT, uh, that provides free ground and flight instruction for women in all stages of flight training. The second annual event was held November 3 through 10 at Will Barger county airport and there's a lot more here to the story um very very interesting program and uh you know there should be more like this um more of these kinds of programs for women and more of these kinds of programs for just anybody who wants to learn how to uh to fly so i call people's attention to this article in uh, avweb a gift with wings and to the program uh called gift i don't know yeah. if they have a website but uh, i'm sure they they do or uh yeah. girls dot org apparently is uh is the uh the gift academy website. So
1: well, we're gonna we're gonna be talking a little bit more about um free flight training um perhaps in the future. Um one of the people I was talking with at, at Sun and Fun yesterday was talking about some of their um, uh, charitable programs that they're gearing up and, and whatnot. And one of them um involves free flight training for qualified uh uh kids excellent and, yeah. and, I, and i mentioned uh, that we wanted to get on the on the podcast someone capable of talking about that and uh, we might be able to do that here in the next few weeks
0: that would uh, terrific that would be terrific yeah. Yeah. yeah that would be terrific so anyways that's my shout out what do you guys got i got a shout out for a young lady from brazil named Sico fukuoka who
2: back before our thanksgiving set a paragliding record for female pilots of 320 or 345 kilometers. Uh flying a paraglider, big parachute. Wow, wow. And I looked it up the world record which a lot of pilots were chasing this fall down in Brazil is 502 kilometers. It's about 318 miles. Uh the uh young lady who set the 345 uh Kilometer record. Let me see if I can do this math real quick. Times point six
1: lines, uh, About 200 miles.
2: 210, 212 miles. Uh, that's a long day of soaring, kiddies. Yeah. That, the, the hours that it takes to do that. Uh, uh, I just thought, you know, outstanding. <clears throat> There's a whole group of pilots that have been down in uh, northern Brazil most of the fall just to try to set records i remember when some of my hang gliding buddies would come through the eastern u.s. on their way to utah to, shooting for the same thing trying to set records on hang gliders uh... it's no small accomplishment it's no small commitment i just thought she deserved some recognition for uh... breaking a, le- a record that had stood for uh... going on four years very cool very very cool
1: jeb go ahead got yeah, two of them real quickly um... One is to um, uh, NASA 905, which uh, is one of the two, the the one that most often was used, but one of the two aircraft, one of the two 747s that NASA used to carry the shuttle, the shuttle carrier aircraft. Um, since there's no longer a shuttle, hey, we don't need the carrier aircraft anymore. So uh, NASA is retiring 905. It's, um, it's on uh, the ramp in Houston, apparently. Uh, at this time um not sure exactly what's going to happen to it uh it was flown to Houston um um under some power uh and um is is in Houston someone they're talking about maybe using it for parts for some of NASA's other uh, 747s they're talking about uh, maybe displaying it i don't know what's going to eventually happen to it but uh you know just you, you think about all the pictures we've seen of the shuttle on the back of a 747 and you know of course the focus a lot of the times is on the shuttle but uh uh the airplane itself has a history also and and uh hopefully this will be a fitting uh a fitting end uh to this particular aircraft and this particular uh, uh use of of a 747 um, the other one has to do with the crew of a uh um, or perhaps well, this is security camera footage, but the crew of a um, citation five twenty five b citation five twenty five um, that ran off a runway in brazil yeah and you, you got to see the video on this sucker um that comes off the uh off the end of the runway, and apparently there 's a big downslope. And the aircraft had enough energy that it became airborne uh, after clearing that downslope and then crashed next to a highway. It hit an abutment next to the highway and just came to uh, just a concrete abutment and just came to an immediate and abrupt stop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you're like, holy, nye, nye, nye. <laughs> but, yeah but no one died in this thing. I know, they apparently The whole heel. thing, the airplane's coming apart, and then it's in like three or four pieces, and then you see people running from the airplane in the security video, and you're like, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But um, uh, I don't know about injuries, um, but uh, apparently everyone survived from this. I and, know. And uh, whoa.
0: Dude. Yeah, it was interesting. They only caught the very, 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 very end of this whole thing on that security camera, but uh, that was enough. It, yeah, it apparently veered off the very end of the runway and, uh, like you said, went over this embankment and kind of leaped into the air and and then crashed down and broken half. It looked like right and broken. I
1: think three pieces. If you, if you look at some of the rest of the uh, the video, uh, let me see if I can find that frame again. Um, Certainly, it broke behind the wings, um, so the tail was was um, one assembly, but um, let's see if I can find...
0: It's a brave new world when Jeb is not only watching videos while we do the podcast, but scrubbing <laughs> back and forth through them.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's in two and a half pieces. How's that?
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, great, great David, what was that? Play. What did you just say, David? You must have said something. Somebody just sent me a text message. I guess maybe it wasn't. Yeah. Was it you, David. It's- yeah. All right. What did it say?
1: Do I want to? You it's not repeatable.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Never mind. Well, <laughs> never it, mind. It,
2: it's a video link to the hang, uh, the paragliding site in Brazil where all these record attempts were flown. this summer. Uh, okay. The video, I've been watching the video while Jeb was talking, and the video is just so so great to see how these people launch and land. I thought like the listeners might have a better handle on what we're
0: talking about if they okay. could see. I'll paste they, that in. Yeah, we'll, Ain't no motors here. We'll paste that into the notes so that it, it makes its way into the show notes. Yeah. Uh, we got to wrap this thing up real quickly. Uh, my last shout-out here is that uh, Jonathan Trap or Trip I, is his name I, I That doesn't ring a bell. Anyways, mm-hmm. the, the, the cluster balloon guy uh, who has been oh, doing yeah. all these fascinating flights for the last few years uh, hanging from uh, just a whole bunch of, I don't know, three or four-foot balloons. Um, it's a cluster balloon. It's a cluster balloon. And, you know, we made a lot of fun of this the first time we ever heard about it and then when we actually saw him do it at oshkosh we were a little bit impressed and uh and so he did another one i guess he went across the english channel he's now gearing up to fly this thing across the atlantic ocean and uh, man oh man i don't know but we'll be we'll be talking more about this later on but a shout out to uh to uh, jonathan trapp assuming that's his name probably I guess, i'm sure it is um who uh, does the cluster balloon thing for uh you know here we go I don't know. Claims he's going to fly at 18,000 to 25,000 feet, uh, and uh, he's going to actually be carrying a lifeboat with him, which is perhaps the well, smartest thing he's done in the whole process. I don't know. but uh, An old, so old he,
2: friend of mine was on, on the crew of the uh, first at Atlantic crossing in a hot air balloon years ago. And uh, it is no small undertaking. Yeah. And apparently, right, by the right way... Right up there with jumping
0: from space. Yeah. Uh, sure. Apparently, he's trying to crowdsource the fundraising. So if you're if you're really uh, excited and, and impressed by this whole cluster balloon thing and you want to help out uh, Trap with his fundraising, you can go to Indiegogo.com. I-N-D-I-E-G-O-G-O.com and uh, make a donation or an investment or whatever, however it is, it's structured over there. So... Uh, Good luck to him, and we'll be following that one more later on. I think that's it. Time to stick a fork in this one. Jeb Burnside out there is a freelance aviation writer and editor and serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, what have you been working on? Anything fun? Uh, I'm on deadline basically
1: for the magazine. Yeah, so, you're going to be uh, finishing up this week, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. We kind of um, we were worried about trying to squeeze this one in, but we did manage to do it. So I'll be a busy little boy the uh, uh, next few days and uh, putting the finishing touches on that. But yep. uh, uh, I've got a few other projects in the pipeline too. I can't really talk about right now, but okay. uh, we'll see. All right. And, uh, well, when um, they hit
0: the streets, you're going to have to let us know about those. Exactly, exactly. And I in will... general, people can find you on the Internet? Well, there. the
1: magazine is AviationSafetyMagazine.com. Uh, you can find me, uh, JEBurnside.com. Uh, it might pop up on Facebook every now and then, and Twitter, and, uh, and of course, uh, Web. Yeah.
0: And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, what have you been working on? Uh, been working
2: on a uh, a a look at the uh, market trends in the uh, uh, business aviation uh, segment, and uh, that should be uh, in World Aircraft Sales uh, in in your mailbox right now, or at your FBO. Uh, So, one of a number of pieces in my uh, that I contributed for the December issue. So, and in
0: general, where can people find you on the internet?
2: Oh, avbuyer.com, which is where you can find the link for World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Uh, let's see, AEA.net, uh, where you can find Avionics News Magazine, to which I also contribute. And that safety magazine, Mr. Burnside mentioned. And if you, uh, belong to this business aviation group, uh, they publish a magazine that occasionally uses some of my work, but they don't byline any of us. So I guess we won't talk about that one anyway.
0: And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Check out my uh, Kindle ebooks at. Uh the, uh, you can find the, the list of those at amazon.com/slash author/slash Jack Hodgson. Uh, you can also, in general, learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. Big thanks to Jeff Ward for his help with our show notes and in the forums. Uh, please take a few minutes to check out Echo, the General Aviation Online Media Channel. That's at uncontrolledairspace.com/slash Echo. And don't forget, you can uh, check out uh, and visit with the rest of us uh, on the UCAP website. Uh, you can chat with us directly. Uh, and with many of your fellow listeners in the Uncontrolled Airspace forums, uh, you can see who's doing what in the New Ratings web page of fame and much, much more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, you had something you wanted to tell us? There's only one way to get as old as Hodgson, and that's to go fly
2: because, you know, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. And it shows
0: with Jack. Bye-bye. <laughs> and that's enough talking. Let's go flying.
1: We really need to move closer to him so we can slap him when he does stuff like this. Tell me about it.
0: The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.